Welcome to the MWC Church Podcast. MWC Church is a place where you can belong, believe, and become the person God's created you to be. Thanks for joining us online. Hey guys, can we give a hand to our worship team for all of their just hard work and practice and their uh, desire to lead us, and, and uh, man, they do such a great job every single week. You guys are amazing. We love you. Um, hey, really quick, I just want to give one quick announcement. So next week, we are going to honor, we're going to take a time at the end of our service to uh, honor Stephanie and, and the, uh, the, the Barger family. Uh, Stephanie has served our, our church at the capacity that she has for about 10 years. She's been on staff for over 10 years here, and uh, we want to honor her next week. So uh, we're going to honor her resignation. She's actually stepping away from the position that, that she's been serving in, and uh, we're going to spend a time next week just to honor her. We're going to have an opportunity for you to write a card or or leave a a little note there uh, at the end, and we're going to have just a reception to follow. So I just wanted to bring everybody's attention to that. We we announced that a couple of weeks ago, and uh, the time is is coming soon, and we're going to miss Stephanie on staff and all that she's done in this church. She's she's been incredible. Can we give Steph a hand for all that she's done and appreciation uh, of that? So Next week, we're going to party, so be ready. Make sure you bring your party hats. It's going to be crazy, right? Uh, we're going to be celebrating the fact that the, uh, the Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl, right? Right? Come on. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to clap for that. I'm jumping on this bandwagon. Like, some of you are like, weren't you just, like, making fun of the Chiefs? I was. I was, because I was a Bears fan, and I'm still a Bears fan, but I got nobody going now. Like, I'm just mad. I'm just bitter all, I've been bitter all week this whole time, so I've jumped on to uh, alleviate, and that's like the ointment of my life, is just jumping on to the Chiefs bandwagon, so uh, don't, don't, don't razz on me. (laughs) <laughs> thanks, thanks. So I'm excited. I'm excited. It's gonna be great. Um, so, uh, hey, d- does anyone like? Does anyone like me? Like right now, my wife and I we're we're in the stage of life where we've got three kids, all of the age of three and under. Um, and and our life is a little crazy. We're like constantly chased. I've never been in this such great shape of my life. That's a lie. Uh, but 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 I'm just like chasing kids around all the time. And and sometimes I'm just gonna be honest. Like if you can't be honest in church, if you can't be real in church, then, then this ain't the church for you. Because I'm gonna be honest and real. Sometimes I feel like I'm. I'm not the best parent. Like there's, like there's times where like I'm like, where, where I haven't seen August in like eight hours. Where is this kid, right? Uh, you know, uh, Aubrey, Aubrey's like she, she's probably one of the, she probably is the easiest one. She'll just like if you, if you put Frozen on or if you give her a dollhouse, she's, she's occupied for hours. But August and Desi are probably getting into things and just like messing things up and 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 climbing the Christmas tree and you know uh, feeding things to the dog and putting marbles in their mouth. Like it's, it's like terrifying, like nonstop. Like the fact that our kids are still alive is just the grace of God. Desi is, is probably the, the, the most difficult, though. He, he's, he's so cute. Don't tell anybody I said this, but he's like my favorite right now because like, he just like loves to hug, and, and every, everyone else, like nobody wants to hug me except for Desi right now, so he's my favorite right now. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell the kids. Um, but, but, but Desi is, he's so cute, and uh, he's probably the most difficult one because he is 18 months, and that means he does whatever he wants to do. Like, he, he went like he just went from like being crawl like a crawler and just listening and you know you can pick him up and move him now he just does what like if he has a thought he acts on every impulse um, so 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 he'll we'll find him in just like the craziest of places we'll find him inside cabinets um, we'll we'll find him inside rooms and and that's probably the most alarming because um, oftentimes he will open the door or, or the door will be cracked open he'll open it and close it completely behind him and we literally won't see him for days we're like where is Desi <laughs> like like where is this kid and and the only way we, we we hear him is if he's crying out to us right like like, like he'll just start crying and knocking on the door and it's a, it's a cute little knock like it's not a hard one it's just like a little 
but he's just crying in the, you know, he's crying in the corner. He's like trying to get out. He's only been there for like 30 seconds. Uh, but, it, but it's like, it's like over for him. It's like, it's like Indiana Jones. He just got locked up into, into like a temple and we're never going to see him again. He's, he's terrified, right? And uh, so, so he'll just knock on the door and he'll cry to, to call our attention. And uh, just really quick before, before I, I, I make the transition into the message, uh, this past Thanksgiving, same thing happened. Um, this past Thanksgiving, we had my, my uh, brother and sister-in-law, Pastor Justin and Lisa and my, my in-laws, my, my uh, mother-in-law, my father-in-law, they were all over. We had a full house. It was like 20-something people in our home and all family. And a bunch of them are, are, are kids. Like, uh, well, six of them are, are kids under the age of seven. Uh, yeah, six are, are under the age of six, really, six and under. And um, Desi was, was kind of difficult to, to keep an eye on. And uh, he, he locked himself in his, in his room. He didn't lock. He just closed the door. And we, could, we couldn't find him. And, and I'm just going to be honest, I wasn't looking for him. Like, it was one of those things, like, we, we, it's not that we weren't looking for him. It's just he, he was Desi, right? The kids are playing. Where are the kids? They're playing. Okay, fine. Uh, later on, we discover, like, where, where is Desi? Like, we, we haven't seen him. And um, we, we go to the room, and we open up the door, and he fell asleep right by the door. For some reason, his diaper was completely off. Like, he just took off his diaper, and his, his little hiney was in the air, and he just, like, fallen asleep. Like, that, that's where his nap was at. Thankfully, the, the diaper was, was okay. Like, there was nothing there. It was no nasty cleanup. But you better believe I took pictures, because one day his wife is going to love those pictures. Like, so I'm going to show every single, like, girlfriend. I'm like, hey, look at, like, hey, this is, this is Desi, right? Like, uh, this is a side of him you won't see until you're married, all right? Um, so, yeah, so, but, 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 but oftentimes, if maybe you're like me, oftentimes we don't know our kids are locked in a room until they cry out to us. And it's not that, it's not that we, don't, we don't love them or we care about them or, or anything like that. It's simply that until we know they're crying out, oftentimes we won't go in and open those doors. And, and I'm here to tell you this morning that, that we serve a God who loves to open doors for his children. He loves to make opportunities where, where there wasn't. And, and oftentimes, or, or, or most often than not, I would say this, the only thing keeping us from that door opening is us simply crying out to our God. Our God wants to hear. He's not, he's not a glutton for pain. He doesn't want us to experience pain and frustration and disappointment for the sake of, of, of just experiencing those things. He wants us to get to a place where we just simply cry out to him and ask for him to open up things or, or open up opportunities that we simply could not do without him. I am here to tell you in the middle of our Daniel fast that, that fasting, everybody say fasting, fasting is one way I would even say, I would even argue that it is the best way for us to cry out to our God and say, Lord, open up this door. Lord, Lord, I'm stuck in this area of my life. I'm stuck in this situation. I have found myself in a predicament. And Lord, I, I, I need you to move on my behalf. Lord, Lord, I, I, I love where I'm at. Maybe you're satisfied. Maybe, maybe you enjoy the, the stage of life God has you in. But, but if, if we just pray, Lord, would you open up an opportunity? Would, would you bring something to, to prove to me that you are a God who opens up doors? He will. And fasting is one of the best things we can do. In fact, today in our passage in Acts chapter 13, we're going to see that fat, you know, fasting is only mentioned about three or four times in, in the book of Acts, in the, in the book of Acts, and, and, and Acts chapter 13 is one of those instances, and we're going to see how fasting opened up the doors of opportunity like never before. So today, the, the title of my message is simply this, Fasting Opens Up Doors of Opportunity. Fasting opens up doors of opportunity, things that you wish you could run through through your own strength, through your own power, through your own intellect will not be opened the same way if you are fasting. So 
Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, starts off with this. Now there were in the church at Antioch, everybody say Antioch. Pastor Justin and Lisa are from Antioch, Illinois, not the same Antioch. This is Antioch in Syria, uh, so don't be confused. They're not, they're not the same Antioch, but we're going to talk about Antioch in a little bit. But now there were in the church at Antioch, so the church, the, the, the place, the setting, the context is in Antioch. In that church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and then the passage goes on to list those prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So five of them. While they were worshiping the Lord and, what's that word? While they were worshiping the Lord and what? Fasting. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, look what happens. The Holy Spirit said to them, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Let me just pray real quick. Father, thank you so much for this window of opportunity that you've brought to us, God. Thank you for the season that we find ourselves, Lord, more than halfway through our Daniel fast. Father, I pray that this morning, Lord, if we are fasting or if we've jumped off the bandwagon or if, if, we're, if we're looking from the outside or from the outside looking, and I, I just pray that this morning would be a morning that you speak to all of our hearts, not just for what, what you're doing collective, collectively, but, but even what you desire to do individually, what you desire to do to every single person's life in here. Father, I pray that this message would go to, to just speaking to our hearts to do things for you that we never thought possible. Lord, I pray that you'd give us discipline, that you'd give us restraint, and Lord, I pray that through fasting, you would open up doors of opportunity, even this morning, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me give you some context real quick to Acts chapter 13. We, we see that, that, that they're in a church in Antioch, and there's five of them specifically, and then, and then they begin fasting and praying and, and worshiping, and, and, and the Lord sends them out. But, but today, I just want to quickly give you some, some quick context of, of, of how we got to Acts chapter 13. How do we get to Antioch? Well, we know this. Jesus had already ascended, and has, well, he's resurrected from the dead, and he's ascended into heaven 40-plus days after his uh, ascension into heaven. He sent his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell in the previously terrified disciples that were staying in Jerusalem. They were just waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall, but they were closed. They, they were behind locked doors. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit falls on them, and they walk out in boldness, and they begin declaring the, the excellencies of Christ, the Greek would say, the excellencies of Christ in the languages of those that were there gathered in the city of Jerusalem for the feast known as Pas or, or Pentecost. So, so people are hearing this, they're like, oh my goodness, they're declaring, of, they're declaring the wonders of our God, the excellencies of Christ in our own languages. These men, they're just not even, they're, not even, they're simpletons. There's no way they would know this language. And, and yet, they, the, Peter stands up, delivers a powerful message, says, men, this is that which you heard in the prophet Joel, and, and, and just incredible, incredible message. People are struck to the heart, the Bible says, and they begin turning to Jesus, turning to the Lord. They were there worshiping uh, Old Testament, uh, theology, and then they see that Christ is the accomplishment. He is the fulfillment of all the things that they were previously worshiping. They start worshiping Jesus. They see him as the fulfillment. The church is growing and blowing up. It's expanding. Thousands are being added to the church daily. It is thriving. It's like it is one of the best 
times in the history of whatever was experienced in Jerusalem. Eventually, however, some of those that were uh, leaders in the Jewish in Judaism, uh, Stephen, or I'm sorry, uh, Paul or Saul as we know him. Today when I say Saul, I also mean Paul. Paul and Saul are the exact same person, okay? Interchangeable. So, so Saul, who is a very zealous Jew, sees what is happening in the, in the church as, as an attack against Judaism. So, so he goes out to destroy that. He wants to completely obliterate that because he sees this is a, uh, a sect or a, a heretical sect at that. And, and he starts attacking the church. He, he martyrs a man or he is, approves of the martyring of a man by the name of Stephen. Stephen is stoned. He, he's killed. And, and the church from that act begins to disperse. It leaves the city of Jerusalem Thousands and thousands of people begin going back to their homes because um, they were there for a couple of years and now they're just terrified because of, because of the attacks that Saul or Paul is bringing upon the church. Now, Saul is so zealous that he goes to the leaders of uh, uh, the high priest, right? He goes to them and says, can you give me paper so that I can go and travel and reach those people and bring them back so that they can face the punishment for this false teaching of Jesus. And they give him the papers and he's going and on his way to the road of Damascus or on, the, 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 on his way to the city of Damascus. He has this intent to bring harm to those that are worshiping Jesus. He thinks he's a zealous Jew. He thinks he's, he's righteous and, and yet he's, he's hell-bent on destroying those who are worshiping Jesus. And on his way to Damascus, Jesus, the ascended resurrected, ascended Savior reveals himself to Saul or Paul and says, Saul, why, why are you persecuting me? And they have this exchange. And at the end of this exchange, Saul is blinded by the light. Not the song. It's a cool song, but that's not what happened. Maybe that's where they got it from. But he's blinded and, and, and he can't see and he needs to be led by someone else. Another Christian named Aeneas comes to him and, and brings healing to him and he eventually sees. But, but his heart is completely softened. He is humbled by the presence of Jesus and he understands that he has a new mission. It's not to go and chase down Christians. It's to go and make Christians, to go and make disciples. And we see one of the most transformed Formative stories in the Bible. A man who went from hunting down Christians to creating them and to loving them and to discipling them. Just a beautiful, beautiful story. Much like some of your stories in here. Maybe you were antagonistic towards Jesus and then through this, this revelation of who Christ is, it's softened your heart and now you're doing things for the Lord. Like this is amazing, amazing, right? That's what Saul experienced. So Saul goes to Damascus and he, he starts preaching there. People are getting saved and people are a little apprehensive. Like, wait, you were just hunting us down. Like, like, what are you talking about, Willis? Like, they're scared of him. Like, you're going to throw us in prison, right? Like, like, we don't trust you. And they begin to, to run and flee. And eventually, he's like, you know what? I, I need to go back to Jerusalem. So some years later, he goes back to Jerusalem. And he's like, hey, guys, I'm here. And how would you expect the, the response from the church in Jerusalem? Are you kidding me? You destroyed the best party we've ever had. There was thousands and thousands and thousands of people here where we're all worshiping Jesus under the same roof, and yet you came and destroyed that, and you want to come to the party? You're not invited, right? Like, like it was just like simply one of those responses, and, and there was only one person. I'm talking about the, the maturest Christians you've ever met, and yet there's only one person. His name is Barnabas which also means son of encouragement, by the way. Barnabas is the only one who stands up and says, you know what? 
If the Lord has transformed his heart, we need to bring him in. He is a brother just like one of us. The only one that stands up, the church is struck to the heart again. They're like, you know what? You're right. We need to embrace this brother, Saul. But you know what, Saul? Why don't you just go do ministry somewhere else? Because you're not the most attractive aspect of our church right now. People are still holding on to resentments and grudges. So, so why don't you just go ahead and go back to Tarsus? And, and, and he's, like, he's like, you know what? That's great because God has called me to be a, one who ministers to the Gentiles. Anybody who's not a Jew, a Greek, or uh, any. So, so that's my ministry. Anyway, so, so he goes off and he, and he leaves. He goes up to the land of Tarsus, which is about 20 miles uh, west of Antioch, or I'm sorry, east of Antioch, and Antioch is about 500 miles north of Jerusalem. So it's a pretty far, like they send him 500 miles away uh, from the church in Jerusalem. They're like, you go do that and we're going to do great, right? So whatever, it worked out. So he's in Tarsus and eventually ministry is taking place and, and Antioch which is a town, like I just said, 500 miles north of Jerusalem. Some of the believers that were gathered in Jerusalem had gone all the way north to Antioch. This was the farthest you could get from the original church in Jerusalem. It was the furthest church you can get. And uh, people are getting saved and things are happening. And the church in Jerusalem's like, you know what, Barnabas, why don't you go check that out and see what's happening. Encourage the brothers and sisters there. Uh, love on them, disciple them, spend some time there. And Barnabas is like, that's a great idea. Let's do that. So he leaves Jerusalem, heads up to Antioch. And while he's in Antioch, he's like, you know what, I could use some help. I'm going to go to Tarsus and bring with me Paul, also known as Saul. I'm going to bring him back with me and we're going to do ministry here. And they do ministry there, and incredible things are happening. Antioch becomes larger than the church. This is what uh, commentators would, would, would believe and agree in. Antioch became larger than the church in Jerusalem ever was. It was just thriving, and it blew up, and it was exploding. Like, everybody was tweeting it, and it was on Instagram. Like, every, like it was just incredible. It wasn't, but it was, right? It was just huge. It was huge. It was huge. And this is where we pick up our story. In Acts chapter 13, the church is thriving. It's more than just surviving. Today, I want to just talk about three observations that I would, or five observations that I would see from Acts chapter 13. In the midst of this thriving, influential, cosmopolitan church, how much the Lord is doing. And I just want to look at the responses that we see here. So, so really quick, five observations from Acts 13. One through three, this is how we're going to see how fasting opens up doors of opportunity. The first one is this. What do we know of the church in Antioch? We know that they were there in the church of Antioch. What do we know about the the church in Antioch? Well, this. The church in Antioch was one of the best churches of its day. Literally, hands down, it was one of the best churches of its day. Let me give you some examples that we see in Scripture. The first thing that we know is how influential, everybody say influential. We see that the church in Antioch was influential. Why? Why? Because, look what the Bible says in Acts chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. The Bible says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it's the context again. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Look what it says. A little note that Luke adds to this account. Adds to this account. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. When people ask you what faith or what religion do you adhere to, you say Christian. Now, that title that we use to this day was first originated and started in the church of Antioch. They were first called Christians 
in the church of Antioch. Now, I don't know about you, but have, have you ever tried to make a word cool? Like make, make up your own word. You're just like, all right, guys, we're just gonna use this word and we're gonna get the entire community to start using it, right? Like we're, someone on staff is a trendsetter and they started a word and uh, I don't even know what it means, but I'm not gonna repeat it because I don't want it to get big because it's a dumb word. But, but there's a word that people are using on our staff and I'm like, this is a dumb word. Let's not use this, but they're gonna use it anyway. It's difficult to be a trendsetter, right? And yet the church in Antioch was the first ones to use and distinguish from Judaism. Like they were, they were just called Jews. We're just Jews. We love Jesus. But the church in Antioch was the first one to say, we're Christians. We're little Christs. We're, we're followers of Christ. And, and that title stuck. I mean, we could have been called anything, right? Jesusites. Like there, there, there could have been tons of, that was not as good as Christians, but, but we could have used a ton of different titles. And there were some that were floating around, but Christians stuck. Why? Because the church in Antioch was extremely influential. We also know that this is the furthest church from Jerusalem. Uh, it was about 500 miles north. I already said that. Uh, but, but the reason why this is important is because they were a mission-minded church. For some reason, when, when they dispersed, the, instead of saying, you know what, the party's back in Jerusalem, we're done with Jesus, they decided to say, you know what, even though we're no longer in Jerusalem and, and we're being sent to Antioch, we're going to just, wherever we're at, we're going to make the best of it and make sure Jesus is glorified. And because of their ability to be mission-minded, and not just say, well, I just go to a church, and when I'm not at the church, I'm no longer a Christian. No, no, they said, wherever I am, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. This mission-mindedness was a uniqueness that we see in the church of Antioch. Another thing that we see is that they were simply, just by this text, we see that they were a mature church. They had prophets and teachers. Now, prophets and we use the word teachers. Some would say, I'm a teacher in this church, but, but we don't really use the word prophets anymore. Culture has hijacked that term. We think that if you're going to be a prophet, you got to like float in the air and your eyes roll in the back of your head and a different voice comes out and you tell somebody something from the future and maybe you read some tarot cards. Like That's all ridiculous heresy and it's disgusting. But, but a prophet was, was a normal experience back then, someone who was used by the Holy Spirit to just simply either declare something that is now uh, approved by the message of the word of the word of God, or something to just encourage somebody, right? So there was prophets there. There was teachers there. They were an extremely mature church. I mean, there weren't just one of those churches that just play games and that's it. Like, no, I mean, they were serious about the mission God had given them. We also see that they were affluential. Everybody say affluential. Influential is, is the ability to, to influence people's decisions. It's the ability to, to cause people to make changes. Affluence is, is more about monetary gain. It's more about resources. They were a very highly resourced church. How do we know this? In Acts chapter 11, verses 29 to 30, look what it tells us. So the disciples at Antioch, so the disciples at Antioch decided that each of them would send whatever they could to their fellow Christians in Judea to help them out. They sent Barnabas and Saul to deliver the collection to the leaders in Jerusalem. Some people say that the church in Antioch was possibly the richest church in the entire ancient Near East. They were the most influential. They were the ones who coined the term Christian. They were the ones who were sending relief down to the mother church of Jerusalem. Like, a, a, I mean, this is simply like if, if there was a, a mother church and this mother church planted a bunch of churches, now the, the planted church that was an offshoot of that main church begot, got so big that it had to actually support their budget. I mean, this, this was incredible what the church in Antioch was capable. They were the most diverse. It was a beautiful, beautiful church. And I can guarantee you that many of them were thinking to themselves, 
this is better than what was happening back in Jerusalem. And they're like, yeah, this, this is amazing. Have you ever been in a place where you're just like, I don't want anything to change? Like, like where I am in life right now is the best it's going to get. This is the best job I've ever had. I've, I've got the cutest girlfriend or the cutest boyfriend I've ever had. Like, uh, like, like, like my kids are the cutest they'll ever be. Like, they're, like tomorrow they're not going to be as cute as they are today, right? Like, that's just a reality, right? Like, like may, maybe you're in this place where like, this is the best job, the best house. Everything is as good as it's going to get. And, and oftentimes you actually don't realize that until you're, you're out of that. But... I can guarantee you that the people in the church of Antioch were like, this is the best it's ever going to get in this church. Let's just stay here. But you know something? The people in the the church of Antioch loved the Lord so much that they understood it's not about what's happening around us. It's not about how great we're feeling. We have a mission, and it's not to keep the name of Jesus to ourselves. They understood that Jesus had commissioned them previously. They understood because I can guarantee you that the disciples talked about this very very clearly. What were some of Jesus' last words? And they would respond. The original 12 would respond and would have said this. Jesus told us one time, go and make disciples of all nations. Matthew chapter 28. Look at this passage. Go and make disciples. Or Matthew 18, I'm sorry. Go and make 28. My notes say 18, but I knew it was not right. I knew it's 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So far, they were just in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria. Antioch is in modern-day Turkey, so it's just north of, of, of Israel. So far, that's not all nations. That's just maybe four. They understood something. It doesn't matter how great we're feeling. It doesn't matter how great our club is. We have a responsibility, and it's to make sure, it's to ensure that the name of Jesus, that disciples, that people experience all over this planet the freedom that we have experienced in Jesus. Jesus. The mark of a mature Christian is the willingness to set aside your own desires for the desires of Christ. The mark of a mature Christian is the ability to set aside your own desires for the desires of Christ. Some of you are part of community groups that are extremely healthy. You're like, it's, it's so good. This is as good as it's going to get. I, I, I don't want to split this apart. But you know what? Not every community group in this church is, is as healthy as yours. You have a responsibility to say, how can we multiply this? It's not about us. I'm going to set away my desires so that I can multiply what the Lord is trying to do. The Lord wants everyone in this church to be in a community group. And we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But the Lord's desire is that all of us would be living in community together. But we need to be individuals that set aside our desires for the desires of Jesus. And the church of Antioch understood that. You know, I, I, they would never say this story, so allow me to do it. Allow me to, to just love on somebody and, and show you just the, the, the incredible. If you have not had a chance to meet Pastor Justin and Lisa, um, you need to. They are some of the greatest people. And, and I just want to share this story. And I didn't even ask for permission because if I would have asked, you would have said no. So I'm going to share this story anyway. But did you know this? Pastor Justin and, and Lisa did not come to our church because everything where they were was horrible. They left their church in Antioch while they were on top. 
Pastor Justin's dad is, is the pastor there, and he was there serving. He's been there, obviously, his whole life, but, but he was serving there, and you know what? He was next in line to be the lead pastor. His father is getting up in years, and uh, he, would, he, would argue, he would hate me if I said that, but, but he would even admit that he's getting close to retirement age, and, and they were grooming Pastor Justin to be the lead pastor. He did not come to here because he was you know, at the lowest place in ministry, and uh, we were throwing him a rope, and he came. He came while he was on top. The church was the healthiest it's ever been. Pastor Justin and Lisa were doing incredible things in kids' ministry. Just every ministry in that church was thriving and uh, it was growing and, and, and the finance, every aspect of the church was healthy. But Pastor Justin and Lisa came here because they asked the Lord, Lord, it's not about our own desires or what makes natural sense. We wanna do what your Holy Spirit says. And did you know this? Through a season of fasting and prayer, the Lord spoke to them. And I've been trying to bring them to our church for five years. Like, if you've been on my elder board, you've heard these names before because I've been saying for five years, I wanna bring them, I wanna bring them, I wanna bring them. And eventually, while they were on top, the Lord said, now it's time. A mark of a Christian, a mark of a mature Christian is the willingness to set aside your own desires, set aside what makes sense, that job is the best it's gonna be. Well, the Lord is calling you to take a step in faith and, and jump into the mission field or, or you know what, the finances are the best we're gonna ever be. Like The Lord is, is telling you to, to change your job and slash your finances in half and, and to trust him and he's gonna, he's gonna provide for you. A mark of a mature Christian is the willingness to set aside your own desires for the desires of Jesus. And we see that fasting is oftentimes the catalyst for us to hear that. It was the truth of you guys leaving your church in Antioch, and it was the truth of Paul and Barnabas leaving their church in Antioch. So sorry about that. And this isn't just for people in ministry. If you are in need of direction, if you are needing breakthrough, if you are looking for God to open up doors of opportunity, when you fast and pray, I promise you this, God speaks to you. God will speak to you through another believer or he will speak to you in ways you never saw. You will see passages, and how many of you believe this? How many of you have, have, can, can say this is true, right? Show of hands, who, who has heard the Lord speak to them or seen the Lord pop out just messages out of even the word of God? You're just like, oh my goodness, I never, Lord, you are speaking right to me. It's usually through the time of prayer and fasting that we make ourselves receptive to hear what the Lord is trying to say. He leads us, he guides us, he directs our steps Right? So the church in Antioch was one of the best churches in its day. The second observation is this, that the leaders in Antioch, so the church was great, but the leaders in Antioch were some of the best around. I would call them the dream team. Does anybody remember the 1992 dream team that we sent to the Olympics, NBA? Remember that? Like, the, like oh my good, like you should be just salivating right now. Like there will never be, and you can mark my words here, any sports fans, we can argue day, but I'm gonna be right about this. There will never be another team as dominating as that 1992 dream team. You had Charles Barkley, like I'm starting really low. I like, I like Charles Barkley, I like, I like him, but he's not the best, right? Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, Carl Malone, John Stockton, you had, uh, uh, what, what's his name? Uh, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, like, like, the, like, these are people that if you make a top five list, greatest of all time, they are on this list, and they played on the same team. Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, um, you had um, Clyde Drexler, right? 
Like this guy was incredible. You had, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Robinson. Uh, what's his name, not, not Pat Robinson. What's his name, uh, Dave, David Robinson, not Pat Robinson. That's a, an evangelist that, anyway, I'm a, I'm a nerd. <laughs> I'm a, uh, yeah, you had, you had Carl Malone, like you had Patrick Ewan and, and uh, what's his name, uh, man, what's that? Michael Jordan, you had Michael Jordan on this team and Scottie Pippen, this was the dream team. Like there will never be a, a just like Space Jam was cool, but this is better. Like there will never be a team like this. Like LeBron James is great, but he's not, he's, those guys are greater, if I can say that. Yep. <laughs> yep. Thank you. I, I see that hand. Amen. I believe that. Right? When, when we contextualize that dream team in basketball and we say, how, if, if we were ever to formulate some of the greatest leaders in the church that we've ever seen, like these guys were like, you don't know their stats. They were, they were incredible. Right? They had Barnabas, the son of encouragement. The one guy who believed in Saul when the entire disciples, the original 12, were like, no, we don't believe him. He's here just to arrest us and send us to prison. No, let's believe in him. The son of encouragement, Barnabas, right? His father, he, his real name is Joseph. He's a Levite. His father was from Cyprus. And so he was, he was a pre, I mean, just an incredible guy. We also see that they had uh, Simeon, or, or also known as Simon, Simon of, of, of Niger. Now, now, really quick, I want to be absolutely uh, clear. What, what, what does the word Niger mean? What does the word Niger mean? In Latin, the word Niger means uh, black man. Simply means that. And <gasps> gasp, right? Like everyone's offended. Uh, I'm sorry. The, the Bible's racist. We're done with church. We're not coming back. Let, let, let me, let me, <laughs> Kyle's like, what? Listen, listen, listen. The Bible is not racist, right? Uh, the, the reason why it gives a descriptor black man is, is for two reasons. One, Luke is trying to tell his listeners or his readers of this text that the church in Antioch was diverse. If you go to churches, some churches in, in America, some even in Kansas, you are going to see one color, one class, a mark of a church that is a mark of of a church that is kingdom minded. That is is a church that is a heart after God. It's this: it will be full of people of various colors, ethnicities, and backgrounds. And I am so thankful that when I look across this church, when I span across even this building, this sanctuary this morning, I see multiple colors. And Luke is saying the exact same thing. A mark of a church that is, that is passionate for the Lord is going to be this. They're going to set aside their own desires, their preferences, their, their, their own prejudices, and be real with God and say, you know what? We are one church. Galatians, this is how we know the Bible isn't racist. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 tells us that in Christ there is neither Greek nor Jew, there's neither male nor female, there's neither slave nor free. We are all one in Christ. And that is a work of the Holy Spirit. And that was happening in the church in Antioch, and it's happening here. But this is what we see here. So, so Simeon, Simeon, uh, the, the man called Niger, the, the, the man, the colored man, the, the black man is, is, what, is what it would transliterate to. Uh, the reason why Luke brings it up is twofold. One, he's trying to bring up the, the diversity in the church. And the second thing he's trying to do is to simply say, to remind his listeners that back in his original gospel of Luke, he talked about a man of Simon of Cyrene. Does anybody remember Simon of Cyrene? Simon of Cyrene. Let's read about this account really quick. Luke 23, verse 26. As the soldiers led him away, they're talking about Jesus. This is the crucifixion of Jesus. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. I would venture to say, I would argue, and this is what an argument that a lot of scholars would lean on, 
This man, Simon of Cyrene, was the Simon that we saw in Antioch. Why? Because what do we know of Cyrene? Cyrene is a city in northern Libya, northern Africa, right? So people are saying, this is, like you want to talk about a dream team, this is the guy who helped carry the cross of Jesus. He is one of the leaders in this church. We've got Barnabas, we, we've got Lucius of Cyrene. Other than that, it says that he's, he's a, a northern Africa. They have a guy by the name of Manian, uh, who was a friend of Herod the Tetrarch, who was, by the way, king. So they have money, influence, diversity. This church was thriving. The third observation we see is this. The church relied not on their strengths, but on the Lord. Listen, if we become a church of great wealth and influence and affluence and diversity and we are just a, a, a church that we can look to our strengths and rely on our strengths or we don't have to pray and fast anymore because we've got enough money in the budget and, and we've got multiple campuses and God is doing great. Listen, if we ever get to a place where we feel like we no longer need to pray and fast, we, we, we're, we're gonna close the doors. We're no longer a church. This church, I can, I can promise you this, we will fast and pray every year because it's important. We, when we fast and pray, we're no longer relying on our strengths, but we're saying, Jesus, we need you to show up. I, it, it's not about me. If you're praying, if, if you're choosing not to pray and fast, because you're just like, you know what? Life is pretty good. Man, you're, you're missing out. You are missing out. And this church, the brightest minds, the greatest leaders, they decided to pray and fast. Why were they praying and fasting? How do we know they weren't relying on their own strengths? They were praying and fasting. They were saying this, God, what's next? What, what, what do you want to do now? It's not enough for us to just take the church in Antioch from this point to this point. We know you desire to do so much more. Your word tells us that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even conceived the great things God has in store for his children. Lord, what, what do you have next? We're not done until you've reached the, the next town and the next town and the next town and the next city and the next nation. Like, God, we got to keep going. We're not done here. So they're praying and fasting, saying, God, what, what do you have for us? This is why we are fasting as a church. Lord, 2018 was great. God, you, you have led us successfully, and you're leading us successfully through a, a, a building campaign. But that, that's not where we stop. God, what do you have next for us? And listen, I can strategize in a room, and, and, I, and I do and I will, and I go on retreats and I plan, but you know what I do when I go and plan and plan the entire year? What am I preaching on? What, Lord, what are you doing? What's the budget looking like? You better believe prayer and fasting is a part of that. And listen, you should be praying and fasting for your life as well. God, what, what do you want for my life in 2019? What is this year going to be marked by? Oh, pastor, I'm, I'm getting up there in age. It's almost close to retirement. No, the Lord is not done with you, friend. Oh, pastor, my life is, this is my life stage. I'm just gonna raise kids for a while. And then as soon as they grow up, that's when I'll start thinking about what's next. No, the life stage that God has you and his desire is to use you in that life stage. He is not done with you. Prayer and fasting is for all people who are saying, Lord, open up a door of opportunity. Not just so that I can be more opportunistic and get some, some, amass some material wealth or this. No, no, no. So that I can advance your kingdom, God. Open up doors of opportunity that I could not open. 
I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. So they were praying and fasting because they understood something. They understood what the prophet Jeremiah said. He says this, Jeremiah 29, 13. We've read it before. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Fasting is seeking. It's a way to seek the Lord with all of your heart. Jesus even said it this way in Matthew chapter 7. He said this, ask and it will be open. Knock or seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Listen to this. Everyone, everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks, find, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. The Bible does not say to some who seek, it might be opened. These are conclusive statements. When you seek the Lord, when you ask, when you knock, he will be faithful. If you are fasting and you feel like God hasn't been speaking to you at all, let me just remind you, remember Daniel was at day 24 when Jesus showed up, three days after the fast. The Lord is faithful. So keep going. If you've jumped off out of discouragement, let me encourage you this morning. If it got too hard for you and you're just like, you know what, my life, is, is, is the schedules, they just don't line up, do something, but don't stop. Join on. If you haven't jumped on at all, let me remind you of the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Remember that, that there were some that came early in the morning and they got, they got paid and then some that got there really late. Like the master went back out, got some more laborers. They got paid an equal rate, the same exact rate. And the guy that got there morning was like a little, little in a tizzy. He's like, what? I've been working all morning. How come, how come he's getting paid the same amount of me? And the master's like, it's mine to decide who receives. If you're jumping on this week, I believe God still, don't, don't feel like you missed out the last two weeks and there's nothing for you. No, God wants to speak to you. He wants to open up doors of opportunity. This fast is not just for a select few. It's not just for the leaders. This time of prayer and intentional focus is not just for some of us. It's for all of us, for all of us to experience what God wants to do. Yes, collectively in our church, but in your family, in your life, for your school year, for your work year, what God wants to do, I believe wholeheartedly. And the word tells us exclusively that he speaks to us when we seek him. When we knock, the door will be open because he is a good God. He's a good father. The same way you and I run, the same way I run to Desi and open that door when I see him knocking. I don't want him crying. I don't want him in a room by himself. I kick that door down and embrace him and bring him up. That is what our father does. If you're knocking, he loves you. He's going to open that door and say, come on. There's greatness on this other side of this door. Our God opens up doors of opportunity. The fourth thing. Notice this, the Holy Spirit spoke to them while fasting. The Holy Spirit spoke to them while fasting. Look at what it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Notice this really quick. Worship is a huge part of hearing from the Lord. When you worship, you are putting yourself in a place to receive from the Lord. They were worshiping and fasting. And then the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. One thing that I felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me about this in this passage here, keep that up on the, on the screen real quick. It said, the Bible says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
in the middle of their fast. I don't know how long they had set out. Maybe it was a 21-day fast like we were. But while in the middle of their fast, maybe it was day 15 or halfway through, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. But I want you to notice something. Verse 3 explicitly says, then after the fast. The Lord spoke in the middle, but they're like, God, we're going to continue this out. Some of you, maybe the Lord has already spoke, spoken to you. He, maybe he's clarified some things to you. Maybe you, you started taking risks and, and you know the Spirit is speaking. Notice how they waited till after the fast to actually get to work. It wasn't after the fast the Lord spoke and then they did. No, 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 no. While they were fasting, the Lord spoke. And then afterwards, they saw it to completion. Finish the 21 days. Let's do this. The, the fifth observation, the final one. Paul and Barnabas waited for after the fast to get to work. That's what we're going to do. The Lord has already been speaking to some of us in leadership. He's been speaking to me personally about things that we're going to do in 2019. And, but we're going to wait to the end of this week, the end of this fast, to begin revealing and speaking out and sharing. But I believe God wants us to finish what we're doing. Friend, if there is a door that you're standing up against, maybe you're looking for a job, Maybe you've got some questions unanswered. And you feel like you just keep coming up against this door. I'm telling you, friend, prayer, fasting, worship, when we faithfully, listen to this, when we faithfully carry out the acts of worship, prayer, and fasting, we lay a foundation that makes us capable of propping up the dreams God gives us. Let me read this one more time. When you and I faithfully, right, faithfully, not just going through the motions, when we faithfully carry out the acts of worship, prayer, and fasting, we are laying a firm foundation that makes us capable, gives us the character to prop up the dreams God gives us. And this is exactly what was happening in Antioch, and it's what the Lord is doing here. The greatest leaders, the greatest church, they were humbling themselves. And then after the fast, they understood it's time for us to go out. And I just want to really quickly end this morning and give you just a, a glimpse of what happened. The result of their fast was Paul and Barnabas left Antioch and they sailed to 20 or 15 different cities, saw thousands upon thousands come to the Lord. They, they, they planted about 12 churches. They experienced some hardship on the way. Yes, Paul was stoned. Not the way you're thinking. The biblical way. Paul was stoned for his faith. They were kicked out of cities. But there's something that the Bible tells us, that, that even in the midst of all of that, they were full of the Holy Spirit and with joy. And I can just, I want to just preach you chapter 13 and 14, but go home and just read 13 and 14 and look at the result, the result of that one fast. It had a ripple effect into eternity. I, I believe that if, if they didn't fast, the way that we know the church today, in America even, would have not been formed this way. Their small act of obedience, their, their small act of humility had a ripple effect into eternity. We still use the term Christian because of these guys. What will the church do in us that will ripple into eternity because of our faithfulness? 
because of our willingness to set aside our own personal desires, our own personal comforts, and to continue this fast, this season of prayer, firm-footed. Can we stand as I conclude this time? Father, thank you that you are an encourager, that this morning your desire was for us to look at this, these three verses in Acts chapter 13 and, and, and just, just note, observe how, how their great standing, their rapport, their affluence, their strength was, was something that that church in Antioch was not willing to rely on. And yet they humbled themselves, they prayed, they fasted, they worshiped so that you could speak to them and launch them. To, to allow them to, to, to not just bear witness, but to lead an event that had a cataclysmic effect on eternity. Where we are even to this very point, thousands are saved. Oh God, may this church experience the same thing. Lord, we want to see people come to you, Lord. We want lives to be set free. We want families to be delivered and restored. We want our classmates and those in our colleges and our high schools. We want to see them saved. Lord, we want to see you move in our workplace. And Lord, I believe wholeheartedly that through this time, these 21 days that we have set aside, whether we've started from day one or we're jumping on tonight, I pray that through this Daniel fast, a season of prayer, you would speak to our hearts, strengthen us up, O oh God, and do a mighty work in us and through us. Encourage us, O oh Lord. Holy Spirit, we love you, and we long for you to do a work that only you can do. Lord, we are asking, we are seeking, and we are knocking. We love you, Lord. Give us our strength that we need for this week. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We love you, God. We love you. Guys, God bless you. May the Lord be with you. Don't forget prayer on Wednesday. We'd love to see you. This is our third and final week of Daniel Fast Prayer. Come out to that. It's going to be great. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. We'll see you Wednesday. Take care. Take care.